Welcome to this episode of The Strong Way with Kathy Ostopchuk. The strong way isn't always the easiest way, but it is the best way. It often means coming face to face with giants, experiencing defining moments, and coming out stronger on the other side. Thanks for tuning in to Kathy's conversation today, covering success, strategy, transformation, resistance, resilience, and more than enough wisdom to inspire you to stay in the game. We believe you have it in you to find your strong way forward. The strong way is not always the easiest way, but it's the best way because it's your way. And now, here's Kathy. Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode eight of The Strong Way with me, your host, Kathy Ostachuk. For anyone who is leading, male or female, in the home, in ministry, in the marketplace, or as an entrepreneur, my conversation with my guest today, Jenny Catron, does not disappoint. When we first met at a large conference in Dallas, we sat with my coffee and Jenny's tea at a high top table, and we talked circles around leadership and probably could have hosted our own gig. The conversation was just that good. I've always felt that life-changing, unchanging principles that make you strong can always be applied on multiple levels. Leadership principles can be applied to your own personal journey of self-awareness and self-leadership and staying healthy. And the same principles can be applied to any team that you're leading now, your family, your work team, whether virtual or live. And of course, if you're an organizational leader, the principles that you will hear Jenny share in this podcast are invaluable. If you wanna elevate your organizational culture and get clear on your purpose. One of our challenges as Jenny unpacks it for us is that the pandemic has resulted in many of us former brave, action-oriented and proactive leaders becoming reactive. We have let the world disorient our sense of call and purpose. And of course, we're fatigued from being in survival mode for so long. What will keep us going and make us stronger is reminding ourselves that we still have agency and that by being proactive, even in something as simple as bringing some fun to the culture of the team you lead, can make a huge difference. Jenny Catron is a leadership coach, author, and speaker, and her passion is to cultivate healthy leaders to lead thriving organizations. She speaks at conferences and events nationwide and beyond, seeking to help leaders develop the clarity and confidence to lead well. As founder and CEO of the Foresight Group, she consults organizations on leadership, team culture, and organizational health. And with over 20 years experience in corporate and nonprofit organizations, Jenny has a passion for helping leaders put feet to their vision. Jenny is the author of several books, including Clout, Discover and Unleash Your God-Given Influence, which is actually the book I picked up and was introduced to Jenny. I thought I need to meet whoever wrote these powerful words. She also wrote The Four Dimensions of Extraordinary Leadership. And you can find her on social at Jenny Catron and at getforesight.com. You know, Jenny is one of those friends that I truly wish lived next door. So I'm so happy that Wisconsin, where she lives now, is not that far away. I have brought her up to my role for personal coaching and for organizational expertise, and she does not disappoint. And now my conversation with the very inspiring leadership mind that is Jenny Catron. 
Well, Jenny, thanks so much for joining me today on this episode of the Strong Way podcast. I'm so delighted that you made time to be with me. Kathy, this is going to be fun. I'm excited for the conversation. Jenny, I would love us to both kind of revisit the first time we met. I know where it was, but I'd like to hear it from you first, and then we'll tell the story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's what I remember, Kathy, is I remember sitting at a high top table that in a lobby of a conference and getting to meet one another for the first time. And you probably remember even more of the specifics of what conference we were at and what we were doing. But I just remember that was like, that's my memory of us getting to connect as we were trying to talk as fast as we possibly could. And, you know, in a few minutes during a catch up, you know, during a conference. And, um, and then we've just had such a privilege of staying connected through the years. So I'm really yeah. grateful. For yeah. And that's the memory I have is that sharing that Starbucks over that high top. It was in Dallas. We were at that uh, that conference together. And I was so happy to meet you because I had read two of your books, Just Lead and Clout. And, you know, when you pick up a book and you read it and you go, I like, who is the person that wrote this book? Because she is speaking my language. Everything you said was so inspiring and motivating in that season of my life. So I was thrilled that you found time to have a coffee with me better there as our first meet than up here in cold Canada. <laughs> That's right. Right. Yes. I don't right. remember what time of year it was when we were in Dallas, but um, but yeah, such a great memory. And I always love like reflecting on those, you know, those, those unexpected moments where then, you know, friendships kind of are sparked and relationships just continue and, um, yeah, great memories. Yeah. And you're one that's very easy to spark a friendship with. And I love it because it's, it's hard to find like-minded women that are interested in leadership um, as well as ministry, but have a very clear vision and lots of clarity for their life. It's really good to have those conversations. And so as we kind of are launching into a new year, 2022, here you are, Jenny. I mean, you're CEO of your own company, <laughs> Foresight Group. You've made a, a dramatic move really up to <laughs> Wisconsin, which is not something everybody might do. And me looking on to your life and into your life and following what you do, I just see success written all over it. So I'm curious what it feels like to you to be successful. Would you say you were? Is it a surprise to you? Is there some strategy involved? Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's funny because uh, sometimes that word success is a little like complicated, isn't it? And um, I'm an Enneagram three, you know, and I'm assuming a lot of listeners are probably familiar with that or other personality assessments that help you kind of, you know, just understand your wiring and what that means for me is I'm just a high achiever, you know? And so, you know, when you say that and kind of reflect on um, my story, it, 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 it's important to me to hear it. I think because, because I have that achiever nature, I feel like I've never arrived and of course, none of us ever arrive, right? We're, we're a work in progress and, you know, God is always working and refining and, you know, we're on this journey. But um, I think sometimes I am slow to see the milestones and to see really where I would say, I think success so much is about just reflecting on God's faithfulness, you know, in our story. And um, 
so I, it, it's meaningful to hear that because I think it helps me with perspective and to recognize that even though as an achiever, there's always something more I want to accomplish and I want to do. So I, you know, it's hard for me to say, I, I feel like I'm a success because I see all the things I want to do, or I see all the things that I didn't do well. Um, but it's also, I think it's also healthy to see from other people's perspective, what is, you know, what God has done in each one of our stories. And so, um, I don't know if I'm answering your question directly, but I think I'm wrestling with the, how do you rightfully celebrate and be grateful for where you are? And while also, you know, being conscious of where you still hope to go and what you still want to see, you know, want to do in, you know, in the, in, in your work. So I'm really grateful. Um, I am, I was, was thinking about this even this morning, uh, before we were recording, that um, just the privilege of getting to do things like this and the connections and the ways God has just um, created connections and friendships through the years and then the opportunities to um, have these conversations and hopefully um, just encourage other leaders. So, so yeah, I guess that's my rambling reflections on <laughs> success, if you will. Yeah, I love it because I think what I took away from that is that you said success is actually reflecting on God's faithfulness to you, which yeah. is a great way to view it because without his constant faithfulness, we could end up in a totally different place. And so I'm curious as to if you're surprised at where you find yourself now, because at the age of 13, you knew you had a very strong vision and a very strong plan that you were going to be in the music industry. Uh, you were pursuing business. And here you are through a circuitous route running your own business. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It, that is super fascinating because you're right. And, you know, my, my, I was, you know, at the age of 13, I wanted to be a CEO of a record company. I, I loved the music business and all things in that arena. And I did do that for almost the first decade of my career. And it was a real um, jarring pivot point for me when God moved me into ministry full-time. And there was a lot of, I call it the crisis of purpose moment for me. And that here was this thing I thought I was always going to do, you know, I was going to work in the music business. I was going to climb my way to the top of that ladder. And that was going to be my success story. And, uh, about the time that I was really like, you know, near, nearing the top of that, that ladder, God redirected me into ministry full-time. And I knew it was where he was calling me, but it was really disruptive. Uh, it was disruptive. And just that sense of like, um, vision I had for my own life and, um, uh, control that I wanted to have over my story. And, uh, but yet I knew it was where God was leading me. And so there was a little bit of kind of just leap of faithfulness to, to move into that. But the beauty of it was, is that I saw in my kind of obedience to that shift. And let's be clear that my obedience didn't come without some kicking and screaming. Right. So, um, but in my shift into, into ministry, the ways that God um, allowed some other dreams to come back to life. So one of my young dreams as a little girl was to write a book. And I had, I think in third grade, I had this manuscript that was in this, I had, Kathy, you'll appreciate this because you geek out as much as I do sometimes on these kind of things. But I had this um, little filing cabinet that I had acquired from some family member, this old, like little metal filing cabinet that I had, I had confiscated from somebody and put in my closet and had a little lock on it. 
And so it was where I kept my you know, best treasures as a little girl. And I remember I had this manuscript of some story that I had written. I don't remember anything about the story, but I had this manuscript of some story that I had written as a three, a third grader, and it was going to be my book. I was going to publish. Well, of course that dream kind of died and, you know, along with, you know, that, that filing cabinet is who knows where, but as I moved into um, ministry, God began opening doors for writing and speaking. And, and that ultimately led to me writing uh, the three books that I've written so far. And so it was really fascinating to watch some of those dreams become a reality when I was obedient to where God was taking me. And so again, now to hear, like you said, of now I'm running my own company and that dream has come a bit full circle, but um, it, it's fascinating to reflect on. And it always makes me wonder, okay, what's another 20 years going to look like, right? Like, and, and will I be as obedient in those in those moments when God kind of prompts me or shifts me away from what I think is my dream or hope. And uh, so it kind of challenges me to say, am I still as, as receptive to his guidance as I might have been, you know, 15 years ago or so. So I don't know. It's interesting to, to reflect on. Yeah. And that's a great question. I want to come back to that in a little bit, because I think that is a great question for all of us who are considering pivots or shifts. Is it, the cultural moment now that we have, what is that going to look like? Because everybody's shifting everything. The external world is shifting. I want to come back to that. But I also wanted to pick up on a couple of things that you said that you sort of struggled with. One is being in Enneagram three. So the achiever, so let's get her done. Let's do more. Let's do it better. And let's call people up to that standard. Also as a female leader, that can be a challenge. Like, what do you do with that ambition? Because we have both male and female leaders listening to this podcast and we cover the United States and Canada. And I think that's a good question for all of us to listen into your answer. How do you deal with that struggle? Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it has struggles, the right word for it. Um, in that, you know, the early version of me did not have good self-awareness around that ambition. It was the only thing I knew. And so I was a bit of a bulldozer and I had a lot of gratefully some good coaching from leaders who loved me, who gave me feedback about how people experienced me in that just drive and ambition. Um, and so I kind of, you know, so I had a season where I was just kind of blind to it and, and that ambition, um, while it allowed me to accomplish a lot, there were a lot of, uh, there's a lot of shrapnel in my relationships because of it. I grew in a bit of self-awareness and then I got really, um, uh, apprehensive of that ambition. And for a season, I even felt like maybe that ambition was bad. And so I was afraid to engage that ambitious side of me because I was afraid of what it had looked like historically. So there was a season where I kind of pulled back, but what was happening there is that I wasn't, I wasn't really utilizing some of those gifts that God had given me. So I think, and I feel like I'm still in this place. There's still a refinement in that of like, that ambitious nature, that drive to make things happen, uh, there's some really good things in there that I feel like are part of how God has wired me and gifted me. But it, but it is its healthiest when it is when it's had some spiritual formation, right? When there's just when it comes with some greater self awareness, and I'm much more conscientious of how that shows up, and I am intentional about even, even in my communication of it, you know, so sometimes now with my team, it's like, Hey guys, I feel really passionate about this particular initiative. And I think we need to move pretty quickly on it. 
Um, how can we adjust some of our other responsibilities to give this priority? Uh, whereas in the past, I would have been like, okay, we got to make this happen and assume everything else had to happen alongside it. You know, so now it's being a little more conscientious of don't uh, when I have a when I have an instinct about something we need to move on or action we need to take, I need to communicate that in a way that also allows for us to reprioritize in order to give that thing the focus we need to give it. So uh, that, and that's just an example of uh, me being more self-aware of how my ambition, I have the, I can kind of muster the energy to push through a big initiative because I'm so motivated and energized by it. And so it doesn't feel, it's actually energizing rather than draining to me, but that's not always how it's felt by others. So again, I think the self-awareness, the other others awareness is really key to me um, holding that ambition in a healthy way. Right. That's so good. That's such great leadership wisdom right there, because your, your uh, leadership uh, competence can only grow as much as it's in alignment and running with your character growth. And I think of the word health, like emotional self-awareness is I'm healthy. I have healthy relationships with others. And no matter what Enneagram number you are, like I'm an Enneagram four, always functioned as a three, but I know now I'm really four. You can express yourself in the way that you know you're wired to without considering who's receiving it. It can cause a lot of problems. So you just own your stuff and you grow in your character as you grow in your competence. And I want to just park a little bit a little right now on this reinvention of Jenny Catron. I mean, you went through, um, you know, you were in the music industry. You helped really start a church, a large church um, in Nashville, moved to another church, did executive pastoring. And it would look like from the outside in that you're you're jumping all over the place, but really you're reinventing uh, yourself several times, but it's only a change of context, not really a change of who you are. Can you speak to this reinvention or whatever, what other word would you use to describe your journey to where you are now? When I made my first move from the music business into ministry, the place that I had to get settled with was the idea that what was really core to me was just, I was taking my core gifts and putting them in another environment. So it was less reinvention and almost more clarification of what were those transferable skills or gifts that I had that now I was going to go use in another context. And so what that was for me is this recognition that, yes, I love the music business, but what I was really gifted at and what I was I was doing well was I was leading a team of people to accomplish a purpose. And so I kind of synthesized what is it that at my core I do best and how can that translate? translate to anywhere else. And so that became the kind of guiding principle for me is like, oh no, this is, this is what I do best at my core is I help develop great leaders who build a great team that can accomplish a purpose. And, and when I went into ministry, I felt like that was what God said to me is I, he said, I need you to take that skill set and I need you to do it here. It was really kind of the distilling and the clarification of what are what are those core things that God has really wired and gifted me to do? And then I can engage that whatever context he puts me in. Yeah. And that was actually a lot more comforting because it was like, oh, if I go take this job, am I going to be outside of God's will or plan for my life? Or, you know, all those questions we ask. And in actuality, it was, well, no, if I'm still if I'm still using the gifts that he has given me and doing what I feel like he's designed me to do, then I can apply that anywhere. 
you know, and so that's actually made me a lot more comfortable when those pivots happen. Absolutely. 100%. I think you've nailed this in a way that we can all understand because we are so often context driven, you know, if only have, I have that position at that church or in that organization, if only it's that title, that position, uh, that city, you know, that platform, but that call and the clarity in the core really trumps that. If you are pursuing that, then your context can look a million different ways. And it doesn't mean that you've lost your way. You are actually finding your way with deeper clarity. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. actually made me like hold position and, and, you know, this is very much a uh, significant to my wiring, especially as an Enneagram three, two, is that I can find identity in a title or role, which I think is not a healthy, you know, uh, place for us to be. And we all do that to a degree. And uh, so I think part of that process for me was trying to untangle my identity from a very specific role or place or, you know, title or whatever it might be. And just kind of, again, be clear on what is that distinct purpose that I have. And then just being able then to hold that loosely of where, where, where's, where's God taking me in that. Yeah, that's good. That identity piece is huge. So I'm glad you brought that up. So I want to circle back to what we were talking about before about this cultural moment means that a lot is changing externally. And a lot of us have had to respond or even be proactive in, well, what's going to change for me? I mean, it's a new year. Uh, Do I continue to work at home? Do I go back to work? Do I find a different context? (laughs) You know, should I start a different career? How do I shift or pivot? Because you've had to do it several times in your life. And some you chose, some chose you, but you've done it successfully. What would you say is different about now? and how we should think about those decisions that we're making. Yeah, that's really good. And I do, I feel like uh, with, you know, a lot of the leaders that I get to work with and coach, this question is, is, is big. You know, I think what, what I notice is that we all have been pushed kind of into a reactive mode and no, nobody likes to be in re, in a reactive mode, especially leaders, right? Like we like to feel like we are proactively like making decisions and moving things forward. And I think the last couple of years has really pushed us into kind of onto our heels and into a reactive posture. And, uh, and I think that one of the, I, I, I was sitting at this very desk, you know, early on in the pandemic and wrestling with my own you know, question around this, because here I, here I had, you know, for a couple of years, been coaching and consulting organizations, you know, around the U S and Canada and, um, and traveling here, there and everywhere. And all of a sudden I've been grounded and, uh, wondering what in the world am I going to do? And so I was sitting at this desk praying through that. And I felt God just say to me, why do you do what you do? I was like, well, I, I like, I, uh, cultivate healthy leaders to lead thriving teams. Like I encourage, I support, I pour into leaders so that they are leading effectively. And he's like, you can do that from anywhere. And it was, it was again, just kind of that reconnection with, okay, why do I do what I do? And then now it's, now it's the how, but I had to go back to why, why do I do what I do? And because before I can start finding a strategy or before I can get more into a proactive posture, I have to be able to clarify, okay, what's my why? What's that purpose in what I'm doing? Now I can go, okay, what's the best way to achieve that? And so I still have, and I think what's unique about this 
season for us is there are more limitations than we've probably experienced before, just very practically, you know, from whether we're, you know, have limitations in where we can go or travel or uh, how much we can be out and about or whether we can office together, which, you know, you know, here in the US, every part of the country has different dynamics. And, you know, I know for you guys in Canada, that's different as well. And so we're all, you know, it's like everywhere we go, I feel like we hit a roadblock of, well, you can't do that, or you can't do this, or you can't do. And I think we get bogged down with the things we can't do and we fixate there. And I think what we have to do as leaders, and that that pushes us into that reactive posture. And I think the thing I'm convicted by right now, and I'm talking to a lot of leaders about, is like, okay, we have to we have to get more, we have to get proactive again. We know the boundaries. The boundaries have shifted and changed. So now, how do we make decisions that still enable us to accomplish our mission? But let's make choices. We the, again, within our boundaries make choices, but push ourselves to be more proactive in that and feel like we have a little more agency over, okay, here's what I'm going to choose to do. I can't pull my staff together. We've got to meet via Zoom. Okay, how can I meet via Zoom in a way that creates connection and people feel valued and significant and we're not just phoning it in because we're frustrated that we have to meet via video? Okay, this is our reality. We have to meet via video. But now how do I make via meeting via video more meaningful and interactive and fun and engaging? And I'm going to find a way to make the tool that I can use as um as a powerful as it can be. So that that might be a silly or simple example, but it's, it's a very practical thing that I think we've gotten frustrated because of what we can't do. And then we're overlooking what we can. And I think if we can just make a little bit of a mindset shift there, uh, it'll help us kind of get back to that proactive engagement. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, go back to the why and be able to answer that anew, afresh, (laughs) And then the how will come, but also, you know, when, when you were talking, uh, our listeners can't see this, but you were putting your hands back and leaning back when we talked about how really we are so defined by external, you know, influences that we, we react to getting pushed back and you kind of moved up in your chair and pushed forward and said, we need to be proactive. And it's so, so true. This word agency is of such great importance. Importance. And I don't know why we start to give it away when disasters come or the world changes or a pandemic comes, all of a sudden we feel powerless and who yeah. took that power away from us? We just gave it away. And so you're saying you still own it. You can still make choices. And you talk a lot about culture. And I wanted to just talk on that a little bit, because even in a Zoom world, where which yeah. we've been for like longer than any of us have wanted to be here, you can still you have to work harder perhaps, but you still have an opportunity to create that community, that culture for your team. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And yeah, I think it, it is stretching us. And I honestly, Kathy, I think this is one of the most critical things leaders need to be focused on this year is the culture and health of their team. Uh, Because, you know, what's happened for most is the first year of the pandemic, it was, we, by and large, we rallied together to figure out what do we do and how do we survive? And it was very much kind of survival. Second year has been fatigue in that it's like, oh, we're still doing this. Oh, we still have these hurdles. Oh, we still can't really get together like we used to. And like over the course of this past year, it's just been this kind of waning, you know, fatigue and exhaustion because we're still not able to do what we might've historically done. This year, I think leaders have to be purposeful about 
How do I create a culture to keep my team members engaged on mission and in meaningful relationship and connection so that we can stay on mission together? And so, so yes, I think culture can still be developed. It is being developed. A culture exists whether we acknowledge it or not. So wherever there's a group of two or more people working on a mission together, there is a culture. Uh, it's just a matter of what is it and, and has it has it eroded over these past couple of years because we haven't had the same uh, opportunities to be together and do work the same way that we might have historically or have again we leaned into the dynamics and said, okay, how can I use what I can to keep my team engaged? And so it's just finding different ways. You know, one of the really simple things, and I noticed this early on when we all had to move to Zoom was uh, we didn't have just those like, like hallway conversations or chit chats that helped build relationship and connection. And so what I was encouraging leaders is, hey, you know, whether it's you start a Slack channel, that's just the fun, silly stuff. I was talking to a friend the other day. She leads a, a staff team. She's the chief of staff for a you know team of about 15 or 20 staff. And they have a Slack channel just for this new game, Wordle. I don't know if you've heard of this. But, <laughs> I have. But so a silly, simple thing that is culture building, right? Like they have a Slack channel where every day they share their Wordle, Wordle stats, right? And it's totally silly, but it's creating connection. Right. So this isn't something that's completely derailing them from doing work because Envision, if they were still in the office together, hey, how'd you do in Wordle today? Ha ha, here's my score. You know, like they'd be just having fun and being silly in the two minutes before they started a meeting. Well, we've lost those little like uh, casual moments of interaction. And so the opportunity for us as leaders is to say, how can I create just these little pockets of connection and community? And that may be, you know, maybe it's a Slack channel, maybe it's a WhatsApp um, thread, you know, you can use the technology tools and the technology tools don't have to just be about the business, create the places where we have fun and it's light and it's just us relationally connecting. And that's going to help um, reinforce your culture from a connection standpoint. Now, keeping your values, keeping your mission in front of your team, being clear about what are we trying to accomplish, all of those things influence culture as well. And so it's kind of looking back at what are the things that helped our team stay connected historically and now finding new ways to keep those kind of front and center, um, I think is really key to keeping culture. And again, team members are asking the questions about um, do I, do I stay or do I go? I just did a, on my podcast, I did an episode with Clay Scroggins. Um, and we really dug into that question everybody's asking, you know, I think 38% of pastors are, have considered leaving their post. Um, uh, you know, the stats are all over the board, you know, just in, 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 uh, employment stats about how many people are considering moving in this great resignation. So the thing we have to be aware of as leaders is people are asking the question about, is this a place I want to stay? Is this a place I want to give the best hours of my day to? And I think we have to be clear on what's our purpose? What are we about? And then how do we work together to achieve a mission? That's my definition of culture. And if I can be clear about that, I have a fighting chance of keeping and retaining the best talent. And that's the opportunity in front of us as leaders right now. Yeah. And I think even leaders with leaders doing Wordle games together, I mean, staying that connected families, yeah. you know, having that mission, that culture for your family, because the greatest tragedy of this moment would be that we come 
we become more isolated. So you have brought some great points. I want to talk a little bit about your journey. Did you feel any resistance to the path that you took? You are a female leader, high quality leader, um, ambitious leader, call probably not driven, but always wanting to go places. And whenever you felt discouraged or that the resistance was more than your ability to overcome it, what did you do to find your, your mojo and keep going? You know, what did resilience look like for you? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, so certainly there have been, I mean, I think every leader, we find resistance in some place or another, you know, being a female, especially in church leadership has its own unique dynamics that, um, and, and I think uh, many times when I've hit those, those roadblocks, it's a, I'm a journaler. I journal my prayers. I don't journal a lot of other stuff, but I journal my prayers. And so I, I think, I think that's the one thing that the way that settles me down to settle into prayer. And so I've, I notice whenever I'm frustrated, maybe feeling resistance, you know, discouraged, you know, so forth, I kind of settle down with a journal and I'm, I'm, I'm writing out that prayer to God and just trying to listen and hear and vomit word vomit to him about <laughs> what I'm feeling. Right. And, uh, that has always been really important to me because something, you know, just that, that, that posture of, of praying first, which is not my instinct is to do first. My instinct is to, well, go see what I can do to fix it or make it better or react to it or whatever. But I, but probably the moments that have most like re-energized me or recentered me are when I will settle and really just go to prayer first uh, and try to get, pers- and, and that's where I get perspective. That's when I feel like kind of crowd out all the other noise of, you know, the voices and, and really get perspective. So that's been really key for me. The other piece, Kathy, that I would say is the friendships um, and relationships with people who don't need me to be Jenny, the author or Jenny, the speaker or Jenny, the CEO or Jenny, the executive director, whatever some of those titles might've been, um, having those, those people in my life who, um, are just the dear friends who don't need me to be anything. Um, and so I have a, I have a, I have a group of friends that, uh, still live in Nashville and I, I, we only get together every a couple times a year, but we have a constant text thread going where we're talking and chatting and they don't, I, they rarely ask me about work. They could care less. They rarely know if I've got a big initiative going on for work. They would, they would care if I said, Hey, I've got this going on, but we just talk about life and our, our families and how we're doing. And, um, and that's really healthy for me because I have a group of people who don't need me to be anything. Um, and, you know, of course my husband plays that role for me. And then another good thing for me, and probably because I don't have children of my own, having little people in my life, like my nieces and nephews who, again, they don't care what I do for work. They don't care what has me stressed out or feeling insignificant, you know, in, in all that I'm trying to achieve. They just want to know if I want to make cookies today. And, you know, so like those, those kind of things that bring balance to my life and give me meaning outside of all the things I'm trying to achieve, I think also kind of, um, just recenter me a bit. Yeah. That's such a great word. Uh, having people in your life that don't need you to be somebody for them at all points of the day, our heads can spin, you know, cause I find myself asking a lot, 
to all my people, like, what do you need from me? What do you need from me? And yeah. you're saying there needs to be people that you can just hang out with that you yeah. can just be Jenny. So that's a great thought. I want to talk a little bit about opportunities. I mean, you didn't get to where you are now uh, by saying yes to everything. And we know that there will always be more opportunities than we have the ability to say yes to. What have you had to say no to in order to say your best yes? Okay, this is a this is a tough question for me because I don't say no well. I I I always think I can do more than I can. I always overcommit. So this is a real like this is a real tension for me because what I do is then I kind of run myself ragged and um and I find myself kind of, you know, just facing that wall of overwhelm. I think the the best way for me to find those boundaries and know when to say no is to make sure that I've invited other people into my work and into my priorities. So uh, every year, kind of at the beginning of the year, I sit down with my husband and with my team and we look at, okay, what are the three things that only I can do? Like, what are the three things that I need to do to help move the organization forward this year? And so then we begin to talk about it. Okay, well, Jenny, if we need you to write the book and write the framework for all of our culture work, then um, you need to be doing less day-to-day uh, -day coaching stuff and more of the, the team needs to take more of that on. We need you to, uh, you know, and so we start looking at all the things that are coming at us and then going, okay, wait, but Oh, you could actually do that. So Jenny, if you would just tell me this, this, and this, I can take that off your plate. So all of a sudden team members are, are with me saying, oh, yep, we, we said that was a boundary. Like you need the, you need space for writing in order for, you know, these other priorities to, 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 to come into play. So then it becomes easier for me to say no, because I have agreement with my team who's saying, here are the priorities. So if you say yes to this, Jenny, you're, you're actually holding us back as a whole team from this. Uh, likewise, I, um, I invite my husband into that because sometimes it will be, I need chunks of time for writing. And it's really easy for me to like sacrifice that for other things that we might want to do together, even as a family. But if he knows that that's key, then he's able to say, well, hey, don't just you know, don't just cut your writing time for this. Like, let's think about whether that's the right thing for us to do this weekend or, you know, whatever it might be. So I think inviting people in is what helps me say no to the right things. Um, and it's not usually a, a, a not at all. It's a pivoting it to a team member who's able to even do a better job than I can. Um, and so that's what comes up a lot in work for us is like, I might say no to that opportunity, but I have an amazing team member who can say yes and still serve that leader. Because that's the thing I always wrestle with is I feel like I don't want to let somebody down or not serve somebody, you know, in some way. And it's recognizing that it doesn't all, it doesn't have to be me all the time. Yeah, you just brought up the best question we can all ask. What is what are things that only Jenny can do? What are the three things only Jenny can do? What are yeah. the three things only Kathy can do this year? And let others do it that could do it just as well. But there are only th certain things that you can do. And I think that is such a great nugget. So as we talk about what it's like to be Jenny, <laughs> what is it like to live in your what I like to call a grace zone where you get up each and every day and you go, this is a place where I live. I feel comfortable in my skin. I do my best work in this place. Mm -hmm. um, what do you feel particularly that you are graced for that just feels right for you right now? Hmm. 
Yeah, I love this question. And I think what that looks like for me is a balance of being able to work alongside leaders and help them, you know, think through the challenge or staff dynamic or issue that they're having and help lead them to an aha moment where they're recognizing, oh, okay, I have to think differently about this to lead better, or I need to make this adjustment. It's time. And you gave me the courage through that conversation to do the, have the hard conversation or do what I need to do. Those moments when I feel like I have um, lightened a leader's load, or I have um, uh, just given them the courage via the conversation to do what they need to do to lead better. Those are really life-giving to me. Also with that is that I need a balance of time where then I am thinking and reflecting on what is happening in the life of leaders. And I am um, developing ideas and writing out those thoughts so that they can serve more leaders in the future. So I have this real interesting dynamic of I need, I need, I need think, I call it my thinking time. I need my thinking time because if I'm just in leadership conversations, which is, you know, output, right. Output all the time that can, it's life-giving to a point and then it's draining. Um, And I need the balance of the thinking time where that's, that's almost like rejuvenating and re-energizing for me. And so when I find, when I strike that balance of those two things, I feel like I am, I'm at my best. I'm in my grace zone. Yeah. And when you have that thinking time, I mean, for a three, I'm sure it's tempting to think like, I'm not really doing anything. I need to be doing something, but you are doing something. You're opening up your mind. You're creating ideas are coming. So I so get that. I, was I feel say, guilty. It's, yeah. It's interesting. You point that out because that is a tension for me and that it isn't as the result results aren't as tangible and I can get impatient in it. And uh, so it's funny that it's so life-giving once I settle into it. Uh, it's not as much my instinct to do it. And so I have to, I have to fight for it, even though it's really life-giving to me. So I have this, it's, it's kind of a weird dynamic for me, which I know you, you understand as well. I get it. Sometimes I feel like I've done more when I've just gone and and organized my sock drawer than when I've actually had thinking time on really valuable stuff, but that's just the way it is. So I would love to know if you have a word of wisdom for those that are listening, because you are a strong leader. I mean, some of it, um, you know, was intentional. Most of it was intentional, but a lot were things that God brought into your life to help shape you. And so what is a word of wisdom for both male and female leaders listening uh, that they can take with them on their journey? Yeah, so many things, but I think I would pass on uh, what one of my mentors told me way early on. And he just challenged me that if I wanted to lead people, I needed to love them. And that just has guided me um, in so many ways, not that I've gotten it right most of the time, but um, but just that recognition that leadership is really sacred work, that we have this opportunity to influence and lead others and shape their trajectory and shape who they're becoming. And we get, it's a, it's the privilege to be a part of that, right? Like I reflect on the people who have been a part of my life and story and still are, who are constantly like speaking in and shaping who I'm becoming. And I think when we recognize the gift of that, that leadership is really this sacred responsibility to influence others in a meaningful and, and, and healthy way, 
Uh, there's a reverence to leadership that, again, circles me back to the, is, is my act of leadership really for the purpose of loving people well? And so I would just encourage every leader who's listening that if you can ground your leadership in just a sense of significance like that, of really understanding the purpose of leadership, it gives you the courage and the resilience to, to keep leading well. Yeah, that is very sacred. I think we have really divorced leadership from loving people. We don't see them as even in the same, you know, Venn diagram, here's leadership, here's how you lead, but here's how you love and you lead out of that. And of course, Jesus was the greatest model. He loved those he led and, and they were not the most obvious leaders. I mean, think of Peter, think of, of Paul and he loved them really to death. And so that's such a great piece of wisdom. What's coming up for you in 2022 with foresight, with Jenny, uh, what are you excited about? Um, thank you for asking. I, um, I get excited about lots of things. And so that I have to temper the number of goals and, and things I'm working on, uh, the culture work that we're doing and helping, uh, I should have a book released this year about healthy team culture and giving you practical ways to build and develop that. So I'm super excited about that and, uh, getting that in the framework for it all built out. And then we also have the culture conference coming again this year. We hosted that last year. It happens in August and that's an online conference for leaders just to equipping you with the tools and the conversations to build healthy staff culture. So those are two really big pieces on the horizon. And, um, and then we have, you know, just on the family side, we have some fun trips coming up. We're going to Alaska as a family this year. And uh, so the, the, the challenge in this, um, Kathy, is me taking two weeks off of work and being fully present and engaged with the family. So that's like one of the goals for me is we have this great trip that we're planning with and it's with kind of our extended family. And um, so I'm looking forward to that. It'll be good and, and stretching because I need to I need to disconnect from work and be fully present for some family time this year. Well, hey, I will let our listeners know when that is. So nobody will bother you. I won't bother you. <laughs> In your way, I promise. And we're just, you know, so excited for all that's ahead. I was at the, the culture conference um, this year and I really enjoyed it. I've gone back to listen um, to all the different offerings because I think you've landed on something really key. I mean, culture is community. It's our greatest need. It's how we grow and thrive as leaders, but how we create space for other people to do the same. And I know that's always been your passion. Plus, you're a really great friend. I just, you know, we've been up in Muskoka. We've been, I think you've been at my house. It's just been great to interact that way. And as long as you're doing what you're doing, um, so many of us will be doing it because you're, you're just encouraging us to. So Jenny, thanks so much for being a guest on the Strong Way podcast today. It's been amazing. And I hope that 2022 brings you everything that you hope it will. Thank you so much, Kathy. This was a joy. I appreciate you. I hope that as you leaned into my conversation with Jenny Catron today, that you picked up on some really great leadership sound bites. First, that we all may have a crisis of purpose at various points in our lives. Those times may be a gift to us to revisit our why and then let the how unfold. And if you're a female leader, you won't be the first or the last to wrestle with your ambition. Learning the nuances of it and becoming self-aware in how you can best steward your ambition to serve those God has called you to love as you lead them. And maybe you're at a point in life where you feel like you have to reinvent yourself yet again, but perhaps you can reframe that and instead ask what you need to clarify. Ask, 
What at your core do you do best? And then follow the answer. You know, we're wired to find our identity in a role. However, that is rarely what makes us strong. It usually makes us fearful because we have to hang on to that sense of identity to keep our power. Rather, we pursue our call and clarity and leading from our core because they help us create cultures that we would want to be invited to. Cultures that are engaged on mission and with hallmarks of meaningful relationship and connection as Jenny describes. I want that for me, for my family, for my team and organization. And I think you might too. To me, that is the strong way, the clear way and the brave way. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this conversation with Jenny Catron today. Please feel free to reach out to me on social at Kathy Ostapchuk or email me, kathy at kathyostapchuk.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I remain committed to helping you find your strong way forward. I believe in you. God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Strong Way with Kathy Ostapchuk. For show notes and to get in touch, be sure to head to thestrongway.ca or kathyostopchuk.com. If this content has been helpful, we'd love you to share it with your friends on social networks and subscribe so you don't miss any amazing episodes. And remember, the strong way is not always the easiest way, but it is the best way because it's your way. Until next time, stay strong.